Okay, uh, welcome to the dry bulk uh, panel. Okay, and with us today we have uh, Carlos Pina, Commercial Director, Sea Transport Maritime. We have uh, John Wobben Smith, CEO, Jenko Shipping. We have Per Heiberg, CFO, Gold Notion, and uh, Lucas Bamparis, President, Safe Bulkers. We have uh, Samatit Santanis from Sea Energy Maritime. And, uh, and last but not least, we have Mr. Scrubber Hamish uh, Norton <laughs> from, from Starbulk. Should we just skip Cole and Arnor and go straight to Scrubbers, or, or should we do some Drabulk first? I, I'd go with the fire and brimstone. Okay. <laughs> Not so much fire and brimstone. <laughs> do, we have, do we have the slides uh, up here? There we go. Okay, I'd like to, to kick off with a few, few comments. Uh, on the chart to the right, um, uh, we show China's energy mix. Uh, uh, both in 17 and 18, and it shows that the thermal energy accounts for about 75% of, uh, of Chinese electricity production, uh, of which coal makes up about 70% and, uh, and gas about 5. Uh, hydropower is about 15 and, and others 10% being uh, wind, nuclear and solar. And year to date we've seen uh, Chinese hydropower production uh, being only up uh, about 2% and other energies up only 20 off a low uh, base. On this chart to the left you see Chinese coal production. Uh, it's actually down close to a percent year to day, which has led to a, a relatively sharp increase in coal imports up 14% into China this year. If you look at the chart to the right you would see that uh, Chinese coal imports in 18 is exactly where it is at the same point in time in 17 and 16. 17 ended up 6% uh, and um, 16 ended up 25%. Where would uh, 18 end? Anyone like to kick off? Is it too early? It's pretty early. <laughs> Should we start with a break? <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's interesting uh, that the Chinese coal imports have come back so strongly. Um, I, I certainly coal imports uh, into China for me, as I've said many times, I think is somewhat chaos theory. Um, I think there there are days where you can wake up and the Chinese government has said. No more imports, we're gonna focus on domestic only. And then a week later, you have a flood of imports. But I, you know, I think what's happened this year is we've, there's been so much electricity demand and there's been a great push um, in China to, to bring pollution down. And we're gonna get into this on the iron ore side, but I also think it's relevant on the coal side. And so you've seen more and more imports coming out of Australia and I think the Chinese are putting their uh, money where their mouth is um, more and more and actually really focusing on cleaning up um, from the environmental side and, and pollution. I think the other side of this story, which, which you don't have on here, is, is the Indian coal imports. Um, and I think that is going to continue to be also a major focus um, for, for dry bulk, at least for the next five years. Coal India, even with all the, the bluster and the, and the rhetoric of they're going to meet their, their production goals, they continue to fall flat. Their infrastructure on the rail side is still subpar. So they are having to, uh, to import um, higher quality coal. And we're seeing a lot of it right now. It's leading to, or has led to the strength in the Atlantic Basin. We're seeing a lot of this come out of the US. We're seeing a lot of come out of Baltimore off the US East Coast and, and Hampton Roads. So 
I, look, we're going to end up, I think, pretty pretty good, 14, 15 percent up on the Chinese side, and and I'm I'm very positive about uh, India for the next few years. I, I fully agree with you. And we see it on the on the day by day, mainly in, even on the Panamax and on the Supermax sector. You see coal coming into India from everywhere, every sources, U.S. East Coast as well, and and it, that is a real real game changer on the market. When you see those cars coming out, one week is very quiet, the week after is very hot. So I think we will have a good China market, but the key is in India in this case, and we are very optimistic on that. There's, there's a lot of focus on the uh, United Nations climate uh, targets, global warming. Uh, Chinese coal imports fell in 1415. Uh, is, there, is it a risk that it could happen again, or will domestic production decline and they will favor uh, imports? Well, I mean, at, at some point, Chinese coal consumption will drop faster than Chinese coal production. But that point is not close. So I think we've got a few good years left. When, when would you expect that to happen? Uh, after I retire. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's, you're clearly going to have 2020 uh, with you. So, so it's going to be uh, five, six years out then, at least. Um, uh, if we switch to the, to, the, uh, to the, anyone else that would like to comment on call? of things here. I mean, our thesis, uh, even uh, in the past for all our presentations, uh, was uh, based on uh, the coal uh, production, uh, no, the coal uh, consumption and the electricity and the relationship with electricity production in China. Uh, each country, as we have said several times, has a specific uh, energy mix, which you ca cannot change uh, uh, year by year. And uh, China has, let's say, certain hydropower capability, uh, they will try to import LNG and expand LNG, but uh, coal remains the key, uh, the, the key uh, element, the key fuel for their uh, uh, electricity production, and this will continue. Uh, sometimes we'll see uh, that uh, uh, imports will be higher, sometimes lower, there will be volatility, but the China will uh, continue to depend uh, in the foreseeable uh, future from coal. And of course, as we move towards uh, cleaner, let's say, technologies and cleaner fuels, they will try to import more fuel, more, more coal from uh, abroad uh, compared to the fuel that uh, the coal that they are producing locally. <coughs> what, uh, to add, it's, it's, it's also important to know is that uh, that uh, India is building brand new coal-fired power plant with the kind of the best technology, also with the thinking of uh, pollution and air air quality. That that helps in, in the bigger picture. So, so they will still continue to consume uh, coal in general. Okay. If we if we can have the slides back up again, uh, if we look at the Chinese iron ore imports, uh, they're down about half a percent this year, um, and uh, that's despite uh, their domestic production. That's Bloomberg figures at least down 40 percent year over year. Steel production up nine and, and uh, pig arm production up five. So with such uh, strong steel production uh, and uh, decline in production uh, or on the, on the iron ore production, how, how come imports here to date are so low? Yeah. Well, um, the key word here is the quality of iron ore. Uh, yes, the country might import uh, somewhat uh, lesser amount of 
iron ore, but uh, they have chosen to go for the higher grade of iron ore, which is actually much, much better for us because that helps the long distance trade. So the higher quality iron ore comes from Brazil, especially the north of Brazil. So that is basically three times the distance of Australia, which is the lower grade iron ore. Obviously, they still need to increase, to, to import pretty much the same quantities. However, um, the better the quality, the better the tonne mile effect for us. Yeah, and ju just, just to uh, f further that uh, sentiment, um, you know, the domestic Chinese iron ore is something like 20% iron by weight, whereas Australian iron ore is about 62% iron by weight, and Brazil is about 68, or at least the better grades of Brazil. In this, uh, in the past uh, month, the past year, that uh, there was uh, an increased use of uh, scrapping uh, iron ore, uh, of scrapping uh, quantities of steel, and which uh, reduced uh, the the needs for uh, iron ore, but this, uh, we believe that uh, is coming to an end. I mean, they have uh, closed all this, uh, let's say, illegal uh, use of uh, uh, steel, and they are, they, are scrapping, they are scrapping it properly. So I think the situation will move to the normal condition as it used to be. Yeah, I, I would, just on that, just to, just to throw a little cold water on this, I do see electric arc furnaces growing in terms of use. Um, but again, this is gonna be way after Hamish retires and, uh, and hopefully after I retire as well. Um, but so now on the, on the positive side, I think you have to look at Brazil and Valle in particular, and you look at their production guidance that, that, that they have reiterated time and time again, and you look at their production for the first half, well, they've got at least 35, 40 million tons that they need to make up in the second half. Um, and so I do think you're gonna really start to see a, a, a strong Brazilian push of, of iron ore imports over the next month or so. And then as we look to next year, you've got the possibility of Anglo-American and their operations coming back on stream. You've got the possibility of Samarco coming back on stream. So there still is growth in terms of actual projects on, on a long haul trade coming back, uh, coming back into the market. And the steel industry in China, you know, you may not know it if you read Reuters or Bloomberg, but it's actually doing pretty well. Um, it's up 8%, and, and we expect that to, um, to continue to see growth rates next year. The margins are strong, they've consolidated. Um, I, I think it's become a much healthier uh, industry in China now. We touched upon the, on the quality difference, uh, and on the chart to the left we show that the price of 66% uh, FE content versus 58 is about 2x uh, uh, the price. Uh, how, uh, is this due to lack of availability, uh, or is it since uh, you could actually defend uh, the price uh, spread uh, of the quality uh, when producing steel? Well, it's not only the quality of uh, the content of uh, iron within the, um, um, you know, the iron ore itself. The thing is uh, that uh, it's got less other pollutive contents. You have less alumina and less other toxic issues that are very serious for the Chinese uh, environment. So that's why, you know, with the same pretty much production of steel, you have cleaner airs in China because you have a better grade iron ore. So that's how it works. It's uh, the quality, it's not only the iron content, but it's the other pollutive uh, elements as well that are within 
you know, the product itself. So if you look at the chart to the right here, you see um, uh, port inventories of iron ore in China by uh, quality, uh, Australia, Brazil, India, and others. And then we see that the Australian share is building while they're tapping on the Brazilian um, uh, inventories. Uh, inven exports out of Brazil is up 2% year to date, uh, year over year. Uh, they've guided a higher uh, figure. Uh, should should uh, investors now expect a very strong uh, end of the year? Yeah. Well, uh, if I may, um, the first half of the year, there was uh, a lot of uh, unforeseen events in Brazil that uh, didn't allow uh, for the exports to meet the targets. I mean, they were, um, they were estimating around 200 million tons to be exported, whereas they managed to export only 175 million. Like John said before, they need to catch up by 25 to 30 million tons in the second half of the year, which now they are doing. They're ramping up the production and exports, and we're seeing that effect by increasing of exports in Brazil. So this is happening now. Uh, first half, it's mostly it was mostly weather-driven and other maintenance-related factors. Now in the second half, they're ramping up and they're you know pushing a lot of cargo as much as they can. Actually. Q4, no? So it's when the iron ore should come from Brazil. Everybody's expecting that, and I was only last week in Singapore talking with the miners all around. And Bali is still very optimistic that they will reach their target. So hopefully, on the, mainly on the Cape market, we will see that peak coming in the next 30 days. Uh, if we could have the slides back up. This is uh, our forecast in terms of share of growth by dry bulk uh, uh, commodity. Uh, and then in 16, you had about 70% of the demand growth being explained by growth in iron ore. Uh, and this year, it looks to come in uh, at around 20% and call around 45. We, have, we get some, at least, clients asking us uh, uh, that the demand picture could look a bit fragile since you're so dependent on steam coal uh, and, and you don't have that same push on, on iron ore. Uh, should that change into 2019? Well, if, you, if you talk on caves market, no. Caves is iron ore and coal mainly. But if you go to minor bulk ships, they are moving uh, everything. This, this shows uh, draw bulk demand, uh, total draw bulk demand. I see very difficult that we will get out of, I don't know, and call on the, on the bulkers. Uh, there is other commodities like grain, important, but the most important are, are those two. Yeah, I mean, look, I, on the iron ore side, again, I, I still see growth projects that are coming on next year. Um, so I think, again, coal, I, I just look at coal as this black box, I, at least in China. I'm optimistic about India. I'm optimistic about some of the other Southeast Asian countries. Um, Coal in China needs coal. China needs quality coal, which is from Australia, South Africa. So I think it will continue. I'm, not, I'm just not sure. It's very hard to tell what the growth rates are going to be next year. But, but let's put this in perspective for a second. We're talking about somewhere around maybe 2% supply growth next year versus 3 to 4% demand growth. And we're building off of a recovery that started somewhere in the middle of 2017. We've got demand outstripping supply this year, so now we're, we're building on that to another year. So that's why at least we're reasonably optimistic going into uh, 2019 from a big picture standpoint. 
Okay, so let, let's do a quick summary then. If you look at our 19 forecast, we have 3.9% ton mile demand. Uh, I'd just like a quick comment if that's uh, fair, uh, low or too high. So 3.9% rubble ton mile demand in 19. From our point of view, that would be fair. That would be fair. So one fair? Yep. Fair here as well. Yeah, I think it will be fair. Sounds reasonable. It should be fair, but uh, the thing is that uh, we need to understand also uh, and see how the, the overall uh, discussion and uh, trade war uh, continues and see whether there will be another impact. And of course, uh, the impact uh, of this trade war is not a direct impact in the bulk, but it could be an indirect uh, uh, impact uh, through the reduction of GDP, let's say, of China. Yeah, although, I, I, I mean, our judgment as to what this trade war is likely to do is that the trade war is likely to trigger economic stimulus in China, which is probably directed toward the Belt and Road project, you know, the Belt and Road initiative, which essentially is iron ore and coal. Yes, if you don't know, I mean, they have already done that. So they have right. reduced the reverse rate of banks by 1% starting from the 15th of October, and this will trigger a, a stimulus package of about $109 billion. So this, this was the, la the second part that I wanted right. to say because yeah. before the interruption, that uh, uh, because of this trade war, we may see that uh, this uh, stimu uh, stimulus package like the one that they have already introduced uh, will uh, take place, and uh, this uh, sometimes we could see even a higher demand than the expected demand just because uh, as, a, as a reaction of China towards the trade war. And in fact, I believe that the Trump family are big investors in dry bulk shipping. Oh, they are? It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we look at uh, on the supply side uh, a bit, uh, the fleet is quite young. 73% uh, of the fleet has been built over the past 10 years, and you have 11% on order. Uh, on the chart to the light, uh, on the chart to the left, you will see um, average scrap age on the Cape size over the past years. Uh, now it's 24 years. Uh, two years ago, it was 20. Uh, if you take out all all the fleet above uh, the scrap age, uh, you would take out about three and a half percent of the Cape size fleet. Will Drybulk benefit from 2020 regulations from a supply perspective? We're not talking scrubbers now. We're going to touch upon that later. But uh, in terms of, of, uh, of how the industry will be affected from a supply perspective. Well, of course it will be affected because um, the market, uh, we believe, it's already very, very tightly supplied. And we see that every day, the minute you have 10 ships or 20 ships stuck in different locations, automatically the market shoots up a lot. Now, in 2019, three to 400 capes will stop to install scrubbers. And as you said, we will not be discussing the scrubber economics now, but you know, probably in the next. You can question. talk about the supply effects of scrubbers, yes. not so the scrubber economics. That's if, fine. if you have 300 ships or 400 ships within a year stopping to install scrubbers, you can understand what's going to happen with the rates. The market is already very tightly supplied. Ships will be stopping. Some people say 20 days. We believe it's going to be way more than that. So that by itself is going to create a huge supply issue. It's going to drive the rates. And, and the ships that don't install scrubbers are going to have to stop for, we think, the better part of a week to clean out all the sludge in their ballast, in their bunker tanks. And make other upgrades as well. Yeah, but proportionally, it's only a day, two days 
comparison with the Scrabble that is 30, 40 days, no? Uh, you think it can be two days? We don't think it's two days. We think it's, you know, more like, you know, the better part of a week. No, it's not only that. It's not only to get rid of the sludges. You also need to upgrade various equipment on board the ship in order to be able to burn MGO in the long run. So it's definitely not two days. It might be a week, it might be more, but you certainly need to do upgrades on the ship in order to burn MGO. Uh, one day is just to put the fuel. Uh, so <laughs> we, we need one day to, to refuel the vessel, and then uh, we'll see how many other days uh, they are needed. Uh, of course, uh, I don't think this, uh, I mean, all these tanks will be cleaned so thoroughly as uh, everybody expects. Uh, so, but I mean, again, uh, there will be some requirements for uh, uh, other pumps. Uh, the other thing that we, we don't mention at all, we speak always about scrubbers, and this is, of course, a, an optional uh, equipment, but we, don't, we do not speak about uh, ballast water treatment, which is uh, an, uh, an, uh, an equipment that has to be installed. So uh, there are so many ships that have not yet installed, they took exemptions, and the, these exemptions were for 2019, 2020, et cetera. There are so many ships that were constructed in, uh, let's say, in Chinese shipyards that uh, have equipment, uh, ballast water treatment, which is not uh, U.S. Coast approved. So we have all these interventions that uh, they need to take place, and uh, the, the ships will not stop only because of scrubbers. They will stop also to install ballast water treatments, and again, this installation could take 14, 15, uh, 16 days, 20 days, uh, because not all ships go to the best shipyards of the world. I mean, sometimes uh, some ships go to, let's say, a very reliable shipyard, and they can uh, do it within the uh, time frame of a regular dry docking, but some other ships will be stuck there. So we're quite confident that uh, the downtime for ships, for uh, scrubbers, and for ballast water treatment will be substantial. At the same time, the industry will benefit uh, in 2020, immediately after 2019, from uh, the, the slow steaming that the vast majority of dry bulk vessels will need to go because it will be directed by the charters, because the charters will, wouldn't like to pay, let's say, 30 tons with an excess uh, cost. Would like, maybe we'll uh, ask the, uh, the owners to go slower and burn 25 or 24 tons. And that could be also another uh, uh, important factor that will affect uh, the supply. Yeah, I mean, I, I, on your balance treatment system, I think that's a, a big point. I come at it a little differently in that it's a high cost. If you have a 20-year-old 20-year-old cape, are you really going to put a balance water treatment system and spend a million dollars? I don't know. That's a big question, uh, particularly when you're talking only four to five years of useful life after that. But the biggest thing, I think, as the price of fuel goes up significantly, um, at least for the first couple years as 2020 is introduced, particularly in the capes that are doing long-haul trades and burning a lot of fuel, I, I think it's, I think from an economic standpoint, it will force scrapping. I, I think some of these older ships that consume an inordinate amount of fuel will be somewhat uncompetitive in terms of bidding um, for, uh, for iron ore in, in the majors. So I, I do think it's going to force scrapping. I think it's going to be more of, a, of an economic, though I agree with every everything the uh, other panelists have said in terms of downtime, in, 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 in terms of installing scrubbers and ballast or treatment. But I, from a financial standpoint, I, I, I don't know how a 20-year-old cape competes in a $800, you know, a ton fuel environment. 
$800. So you, you sure. expect you expect the fuel fuel price to go out. So we're <laughs> going, we're going to touch upon that later. But uh, if we um, so have anyone done any calculations or seen numbers? If you take you know cleaning of the tanks, installment of scrubbers, uh, uh, ballast water, what supply effect that could have? It's two to four percent. We think. Call it two. That's the, the, the conservative end of that is safer. So two two percent on those three uh, parameters. Yeah. Would that would that would everyone agree on that? Or? Well, I, I think it's going to be higher than that uh, because uh, people now, like Lucas said before, people assume that uh, the ships will be stopping at yards that they will deliver on their promise about certain dates. Uh, you have weather disruptions in China, you have uh, other elements, and of course, the Chinese have the tendency of overbooking and underdelivering in a number of ways. We have had a lot of incidents uh, recently about ships getting into the yards to install scrubbers, quality scrubbers at quality yards, and instead of 20 to 30 days, the ships ended up after two months. So we think that the, the supply disruption will be much, much bigger than that also more in line with the 4% than the 2%. I think I, I fully agree that you can rely on Chinese, but there is always delay, bad weather, uh, bad experience, and, and, and probably the capacity will be taken out from the system. So 3 4% is probably more, more in line with that. So, so with three, so you, Hamish said 2% and you said 4% uh, uh, excluding scrapping, just uh, the... Um, scrapping for next year, I think, is very difficult to be honest. So if we, we, we summarized uh, on the dry bulk demand, uh, around 4% ton mile sounded fair. Uh, from, from what I hear, uh, I think we might be very, uh, or our supply numbers might be a bit high. Uh, if, you, if you'd like to comment, we have 2.4% uh, net supply growth in 19 and 28 in 2020. If we start to the left with Hamish, is that uh, too low, fair, or too high? Well, I think the, the, the supply growth, in other words, deliveries less scrapping is probably right, but the effective supply in 2019 is going to be reduced because of unusual, let's say, stoppages of ships by, you know, we would think maybe 2% to perhaps 4 and I think the other side of the table is sort of 4 to perhaps a bit less, but more like 4 so. Net so supply it growth. could be closer to closer to, to zero. It could be for 2019 closer to effectively zero. Okay. Yeah. Are you then taking into account slow stimming? We'll touch upon that later. No. Or is that another factor? That's that's. We're going to touch another upon it factor. Later. Okay. Okay. And that w the other factor will apply in 2020, and not in 2019. Yeah. Yeah, but you have demand growth. If you have three to four percent demand growth in a market that will be effectively growing by zero, or let's say minus one percent, you can imagine, you know, that's what that is going to mean to the rates. So I tend to believe everybody will be happy. People who are not installing scrubbers will be happy because they will take the advantage in 2019. People who are installing scrubbers will take the advantage in 2020. So everybody should be happy, except people who have stuff they need to ship. <laughs> okay. You need on the water in 19. 
If we, um, if we then move... If I, if I may say another point, which is interesting, I mean, uh, also, in order to install all these scrubbers and all these ballast water treatments, uh, I mean, some people think that uh, you need to spend some money. Uh, and uh, you need also to spend some equity from your uh, reserves. Uh, we're coming out of a uh, cycle which was extremely bad. Uh, the, the companies uh, are not uh, uh, full of cash. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, this will also indirectly affect the order book future order book. So you cannot do two things. You cannot install scrubbers and also uh, do ordering of new builds. Uh, and also, uh, either you do an additional order or you install some scrubbers. Uh, and the second point is that uh, also the trade war, as we discussed, uh, is also another parameter that plays an important role in whether you need to put an additional order in a shipyard. So this is the good effect that will prolong this cycle. That, uh, we have, let's say, this uh, fear of trade war. We have all these uh, other investments that we need to do one way or the other with balanced water treatments and with scrubbers. And imagine that a balanced water treatment could be 700,000, 800,000. A scrubber could be two to three million for a, let's say, a, for a medium-sized vessel. So at the end of the day, you pay this money, so this money are not available for other investments. So are not available to expand your fleet uh, with new builds. This is also another interesting idea. The order book is quite low in dry bulk. And then with the supply pictures, uh, I think uh, uh, we will probably have to, to have a revisit of our supply supply figures. So, uh, so we'll see. Um, if we move over to, to uh, 2020 impact, uh, this is uh, a chart shown in our latest uh, IMO 2020 report where we, on the x-axis, uh, show the number of vessels as a percentage of the fleet, uh, and to the left we rank the ships with the highest fuel consumption, and on the y-axis we have a share of global uh, fuel consumption. And then I would see if you take the 5% most thirsty ships, you would have about 40% uh, of fuel consumption uh, globally. But dry bulk, uh, you rank Cape size uh, number uh, 8 and Panamax number 11 on this chart, but nevertheless, you're one of uh, the uh, sectors ordering uh, the most uh, scrubbers. So, Per, why, why did you in Gold Notion order scrubbers? Uh, yeah, I'm taking a more kind of a risk management approach to it. Do you think it's, uh, first of all, you have the financial aspect that you touched upon the spread. It, uh, it seems to be uh, a good investment. And uh, I don't think this is a long-term solution for the industry in, in general. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we are installing in more or less half of the fleet. Uh, and we also tie it in with, uh, with the regular dry dock schedule in order to limit the fire period. So it's from a financial point of view, it's, uh, it, it makes sense to do the investments for, that, for those reasons. We may also think that uh, the older vessels will, uh, will lose out in the competition in, in 2020. So it's more favorable to, favorable to install in the older vessels rather than the new and fuel uh, vessels. And John, it seems like you're also joining now on, on the Capes? We are. Yeah. <laughs> are investors uh, giving you pushback or, uh, or, uh, or for, for, you know, you have to install scrubbers? No, not, not at all. In fact, I'm actually surprised how little questions that, that, that we get on this. Um, but, you know, look, we... 
taking a portfolio approach on it. We're putting scrubbers on all 17 of our capes. Um, we think that makes sense, the payback period, even at a $200 spread, which is, which is most likely conservative, is still a year. So we think that that is a, uh, you know, pretty much a slam dunk from an investment standpoint. We're not, uh, not immediately, we haven't immediately made a decision on what we're going to do with the smaller ships, but we're maintaining the options on, on at least 15 more. And if you look at our capes, our 17 capes out of our fleet, that's 41% of our overall fuel usage. And if we add in the options, that's another 20%. We, um, we still haven't established in our mind the, the case for the smaller ships quite yet. It's a uh, longer payback, and I think there's some more unknowns on the smaller ships in terms of availability of, of high sulfur fuel in some of the smaller ports that, uh, that, are, that are mid-sized and smaller ships call. But, for us on the capes, we uh, again we th we think it makes a lot of sense, obviously, and we've spent a lot of time on this. So we expect to have all 17 done before the end of 19, and we've we have some that are being dry docked. We're having some that that we're rolling forward. Um, but we also are happy that we have waited to some degree on this, as some of these larger Chinese yards have you know gained the expertise in terms of installing the scrubber equipment, so you can keep the uh, number of days that the ship is in dry dock to a, uh, to a minimum. Hey, Mish, would you like to add some, some comments? You've ordered a few. We've ordered some. Yeah. Um, as, a, as a small hedge? As, a, as, a, as, as primarily a hedge. Mm -hmm. As primarily a hedge. No, we, 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 we've, uh, we've basically, we intend to put scrubbers on our entire fleet. Um, and you know, we, we, we think the, uh, the profitability of those scrubbers will be, um, will have the greatest duration in the smaller vessel classes and the greatest initial magnitude in the larger vessel classes. Um, and after a period of time, there won't be any profitability for the larger vessel classes. It will simply be a requirement to do business. Okay. If I may say a couple of uh, things about uh, the fundamentals of uh, scrubbers, because uh, quite often, uh, and also for the audience, for the benefit of the audience, uh, we do not understand uh, what uh, this device does and uh, whether it's uh, suitable or not for uh, cleaning. So first of all, uh, today that we are speaking, uh, all ships are not, uh, the, I mean, most of the ships are not equipped with uh, scrubbers, and uh, the result is that uh, the sulfur that uh, is inside uh, the fuel that uh, they are burning goes to the atmosphere. I mean, it dilutes in the, um, with the humidity, it becomes an acid rain. If the acid, the acid rain goes anyway, wherever there is a rain, so it can go to the sea or in the land. We don't care if it goes to the sea, because the sea is alkaline and it neutralizes. We care when it goes to the land. That's why the IMO back in 2008 had introduced these uh, ECA zones and you say, don't burn uh, high sulfur fuel close to United States. Don't burn uh, in Baltic region. So that's why, the, 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 let's say, the uh, various, uh, let's say, uh, parts of the world try to push the high sulfur content fuels away from the shore. So this acid, uh, this acid uh, rain will not go come uh, to the land. So. Uh, but uh, itself, whatever it's produced today, it goes basically to the sea and is neutralized. The same thing will happen, but in a very ordinary way with uh, scrubbers. 
the scrubbers will they, uh, will uh, will make uh, impossible, let's say, the escape of sulfur to the atmosphere, and it will neutralize it in, in, into the sea. The second point is that scrubbers is a very old technology. I mean, uh, back in 1970, 80s. So it's uh, quite. Uh, so, so I think that uh, it will be useful for uh, several years. This is one way, and I think that I tend to believe that the necessity of uh, cleaning the exhaust gas with scrubbers, the exhaust gas from uh, sulfur with scrubbers, is very important because crude oil itself, we have several crude oils. We have crude oils with high sulfur content, and there it's economical to take out the sulfur. And you have crude oil with very low sulfur, uh, which is okay for our case, but also you have crude oil with medium content sulfur, which you cannot, it's not economical to take it out. So either we spend money in the refineries, which means that the fuel will cost more, and you don't install scrubbers, or the cost will be, will, uh, will be less with the scrubbers. So I think the economics are there. Also, the HFO, the, the, uh, the heavy fuel oil that we discussed, is a big percentage of the crude oil. So this, the production itself is uh, unavoidable. Either you, either you use it as it is, with a high or low sulfur, whatever it is produced, or uh, you, you need to send it to a, to a cracking uh, uh, to, to have a, a, a cracking methodology and make other uh, and make other let's say fuels. If you do that, it's again an additional cost. So all these economics are let's say I believe that they are in favor of the companies that will install scrubbers at the end of the day. And these scrubbers will work for several um, uh, years, for 10 years, for 20 years. Not it's not for one or two years. Okay, I, I just want to show one slide more. Um, these uh, are numbers we subscribe to provided by DMV. Uh, as of August, they counted uh, uh, about 1,000 scrubbers, uh, and then by September it went up 300, uh, and by October it went up an additional 300. Uh, uh, we count that there is about uh, currently 15% of the Cape Fleet uh, would have installed scrubbers by 2020, uh, and our forecast is that about more than a third of the Cape Fleet will have installed scrubbers by 2020. Um, would the ship owner manage to uh, retain all the saving? Uh, well, first of all, I agree that um, the scrubber installation and the usage um, for the next few years appears to be um, mathematically, you know, a good exercise. Some people say that the payback may be like a year. Some people say that the payback may be prolonged to three years. I don't know and nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, personally, when I hear companies uh, admitting in the investment of uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, regardless if that's uh, equity or debt uh, or whatever, I find it um, a little bit problematic for the shipping community because it, it's a silent acceptance that the cost of all this investment will be borne by the ship owners, which in my opinion is wrong. That should be made in cooperation with the charters and the cost of the actual investment and all that should be passed to the end consumer, whoever the end consumer may be, as this is happening in all the industries in the world. For example, if you have higher fuel cost on the airplane, the passenger pays the cost. If you have a higher fuel cost at the gas tank, unfortunately, the consumer pays the cost. In this case, if everybody goes out and says, I will install 100 scrubbers, 200 scrubbers, 300 scrubbers, or whatever, that means it implies that the cost will be borne solely by the shareholders of these companies. And that, in my opinion, is not so correct. Okay. 
of course, I if think the shareholders bear the cost, the shareholders get the profit. If there is a the profit. The charters bear the cost, the charters get the profit. I'm not sure who's going to have profit or who's going to have losses. As a company, we have decided that the scrubber installation for Synergy, which as you all know, it's the only pure play Cape size fleet, will be done in cooperation with the charters. So we have entered into agreements that we will be sharing the cost and we'll be sharing the upside and all that, because it's not only what the spread looks to be from 2020 onwards, which it might be $1,000, it might be $100, I don't know. But the thing is here, um, the availability of fuel and who's gonna have the responsibility of providing the high sulfur fuel oil and all that. So in our opinion, that is an exercise that should be done in close cooperation with the charters and not by the owners themselves. But Hamish, let me, let me challenge you, Hamish, in terms of if, if you're in Brazil uh, and there's uh, two Cape size with scrubber, two Cape size without scrubber and they're competing for cargo, how would that the bidding process in terms of uh, retainment for scrubber? Uh, well, we don't intend to time charter our scrubbed ships. We intend to voyage charter them and therefore we'll just carry the iron ore for the same price per ton that the market will bear. No, nobody even knows whether the ship, which ship we're going to use. We'll just say we'll carry, you know, your iron ore at the market price per ton and we'll get the profit. Yeah, no, I think Hamish is exactly right. And, I, and, and that if, if, if a shipping company is making the investment on scrubbers, that is really the, the key, is you really need to be doing direct cargo liftings, voyage chartering, so you can reap 100% of, uh, of the benefits. And I, I mean, look, I, I've talked to, over the last week, all the iron ore majors, they all expect the price of, um, of shipping iron ore to go up. So they've all, I think, rationalized that they are going to have to pass that cost on to the end user. And also, you know, the, again, the reality, if you take 170,000 deadweight ton stem of, you know, of iron ore from Brazil to uh, China or even Australia to China, the economics aren't that much different. You're talking about about a $300 spread, maybe a four to 5% increase on the total cargo, that's not a huge inflation number. Um, and, that, and that number obviously trickles down and, and dwindles to one to 2% once it gets into, uh, into the steel industry. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I think ships with scrubbers um, are simply gonna compete just like any other ship. It will just reap higher economic benefits. Yeah, I, I think John and Hamilton are right. The problem is when us owners are giving on chart to the ships to a charter or an operator, are they going to have the same logic? Because probably they are just going to pay you a thousand, a thousand five hundred dollars more, and they are going to look for making money. So maybe they are going to be a little bit more competitive than the non-scrubber ships. So uh, if all the scrubber ships are in the hands of the owners and, and all of us work together, I see it. But if we naturally giving ships to third-party people, yeah. it will be difficult to get all the value. Plus, normally when you are doing on the day by day, trying to get cargos. If you want to participate you, and you want to get the cargo, you have to discount. So <laughs> whatever you, you want or not, you will have to leave some money on the table. Uh, look, if I, yeah. uh, if I may say. Uh, I think Carlos is, uh, is into something there because you, you said that you, we need uh, all the owners to be disciplined. And uh, the big question mark is whether that is possible or not. You know, it, it, it can be tempting for, for a guy with, with a scrubber 
if it competes with a guy without the scrubber, just to lower the rate a little bit to secure the car. So I think you have a point actually, uh, Nikolai, on all that. So discipline is uh, it's a crew uh, or a crucial thing. It's not about this. Just a minute. It's, it's not about discipline. Yeah, just, uh, uh, just have a second. It's not about discipline. It's very clear. We have, I mean, the development of two-tier market. You will have ships uh, with scrubbers and ships without scrubbers. If you have a substantial percentage of ships without scrubber, uh, with, with scrubbers, then the, the indexes need to be modified, and I think that there will be, and, and there is such discussion. So you cannot, let's say, you have a Panamax, you have a Kamsermax. I mean, the indices are modified for, for, for the performance of the ships. If you have scrubbers, the, ship, the indices will be modified. You will have, let's say, you said that you have about a 15% 30% of uh, capes. I mean, this is a very good idea. I mean, in capes, they will have two indices, the one for scrubbers and the other with, without scrubbers. This we is a very a, good we idea. We have a tight schedule today, so I'm going to interrupt you a bit. One final this point. This panel uh, suggests that you will have 4% demand growth and zero supply growth next year. So that looks quite optimistic on, on based on where rates are today. Thank you.